I'm being patient. <laughs> it's a privilege to, uh, and I mean this sincerely, a privilege to stand here today. First time I've gotten to preach on this elevated platform. Something I always wanted to do early on. <laughs> and now it's done. Late Dr. Howard Hendricks, the professor at Dallas Seminary, tells a story about the day he and his teenage son decided to tackle the job of digging in their front yard to find a broken sewer pipe. So they dug for uh, some time. Of course, in Dallas, it's hot. Dug for some time, and finally in their trench, they found the broken pipe. And so they're standing there looking at this broken pipe and trying to decide what their next step approach and fixing this thing is going to be. As they're standing there, someone inside the house decides to flush the toilet. <laughs> and in typical Howard Hendricks humor, he says, you know, I have stood before hundreds of people and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, I find it relatively easily to depend upon the Holy Spirit to preach the Word of God. But he says it's a whole other thing when you're standing in a trench and somebody flushes the toilet. Then you find out how much the Spirit is in control of your life. <laughs> how true. Really, these fruit of the Spirit need to be considered in a general way, but also they are to be considered because when the pressure of life is on, that's when the fruit of the Spirit are to be exhibited. In fact, Jesus said, you know, it's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to love others. It's another thing to love your enemy. What was he saying? He's saying when the pressure's on, when love is not particularly emotion at this point, it's just an action. It's another thing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us because we cannot pull off the Christian life in and of our own flesh. It's not possible. As Terry said so ably last week, as we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, he places the Holy Spirit inside of us. And God begins to change us from inside out. He changes our thought life. He changes our actions. He changes our words. He changes our behavior. He changes everything about us. And the thing I would suggest to you today, if God has not been changing your life, are you connected to Christ? Dr. Tozer said, God takes over a man to change him and make him like Christ. That's the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm afraid we're living in a day and an age where Christianity is about this wide and about that deep. And I think part of that is due because we have forgotten that we have been called to be a holy people separated unto God. When you look at these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, you're really looking at an aspect of holiness. 
You see, this is like Christ. We just sang about holy is the Lord. We are called to be holy. I have a picture up here of a diamond someplace. No? Yes? I've thrown them all off base. Anyway, I had a picture of a diamond. There's a rough stone. And that rough stone is worth a lot of money, but it's worth a whole lot more after it's cut. In fact, people have, there it is. By the way, man, if you have an extra $50 million in your pocket, you can buy this stone. (laughs) And I don't happen to own it, so. uh. But they will literally take, do you have the picture before this? There it is. That's the same stone, but the one on the left is uncut. The one on the right is cut. A uh, diamond cutter will study those stones. In fact, I've seen pictures where they'll even draw out how they want to cut them. Because once they've made an incision on these stones, there's no turning back. So they're very careful about how they're cut and then polished so that they can be give off radiance like the stone on the right. My suggestion to you is, not my suggestion, my point is this. Jesus accepts us the way we are. In all of our roughness and crudeness and language and behavior and on and on it goes, he accepts us as we are. But then he is like that diamond cutter who begins to shape and mold so that the image of Christ becomes like that diamond on the right where we sparkle and bring glory to God as we live out our days in honor of his name. So that's the purpose of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And the unfortunate thing is we can resist that work or we can submit to it. Let me tell you, when you resist it, and I, before I went to college, and uh, when I was determining what God wanted me to do, I was trying to resist the Lord. It was only when I fully surrendered. I had, I was a Christian. But there had to come a point in my life where I died to my desires and plans and wishes and let Jesus Christ have control of everything, that he might be honored and glorified in all that's done. So you can resist the work of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you not to do that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, let just listen, I think the words might be up there as obedient children Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as ye who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And I say again, 
the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are simply evidences of the holiness of God lived out in our lives. Now, patience is one of those virtues. I am not going to reread Galatians chapter uh, 5 for you today. I hope that you have been reading it. In fact, let me make a couple of suggestions to you. Take the time and read Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit and those verses before, and then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and compare the love chapter, because it's basically the same, only said in different terminology somewhat. Then Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance or patience. Somebody said you don't want to pray for patience because you're going to get trials. Well, that's true. <laughs> but guess what? That's an aspect of the work of God in our lives. Suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now I'm going to ask you to turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at those verses of Scripture in the first chapter. What I want you to see is that there is a contrast here between trials and temptation. Keep in mind, God is wanting to develop patience in our life, one of those aspects of holiness and the character of God. Look at verse 2 in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many times. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double, is a double-minded and unstable in all they do. Jump down to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Then go on to verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Believe me, I've wrestled with this passage for uh, actually a number of weeks. <laughs> um, I'll be glad to deal, preach this today. Maybe I'll be able to sleep tonight. Um, 
But I want you to see the contrast here between trials and temptation. In fact, there's five of them that I want you to notice, and um, if you want to write them down, you can. I'm sorry I don't have an outline for you this morning. The first is the contrast between tests. Trials are a test. Temptation is a test. Trials, however, is a test of your faith. Look at verse 3. Trials are a test of your faith. But temptation is a trial of your heart. Jesus said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. What I want you to see here is the difference between do not think of temptation as a trial. That is something we are to resist and run from. Trials are different. They're used by God to perfect his image in our life, my life, in your life. Temptation is something that all of us face, but we're to run from it. It is not considered a test or a trial. The second is the con- second contrast here is the contrast of the source. Trials are permitted by God. Temptation, verse 14, comes from evil desires within us. Unfortunately, all of us came into this world with an evil heart, a sinful heart. That is dead, blind, and deceived. All you have to do is look around our world today and all of those that are outside of Jesus Christ, they have no idea what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what the the repercussions are of what they're doing. Because they are dead. But when you come to Christ, he resurrects that heart and begins to make changes in the depths of our being. He changes us from the inside out. This is an inside job, okay? So trials, again, are permitted by God to perfect us. Temptations, or temptation comes from the evil heart within us. The third contrast is that of emotions. Trials result in joy. Um... Now, I've never given birth to a baby. I have been present at a birth, at several births. I don't know of any woman who uh, has enjoyed labor. But she celebrates and is excited about the evidence of what comes out of that labor, a child. God is saying here, there's not necessarily joy in the midst of the trial. It's the result of what it brings about in our life that comes the joy. You catch that? That's important. There's another emotion here with temptation. And unfortunately, the emotion there is guilt and shame. 
Now let me just say something quickly here. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted in every point as we are, yet he was without sin. Temptation is not sin. We all are tempted. It's what we do with that temptation. If we yield to it, it becomes sin. So I want to be very, very clear here. Temptation is not sin. It's yielding to, allowing that to be festered in our heart, mind, soul, and spirit to where it we play out whatever it is we're being tempted with. I think of Joseph, who was uh, in Potiphar's house and captured, taken hold of by Potiphar's wife, and Joseph literally ran out of the cloak to get away from the temptation. And notice what he said. He said, I would not sin against God. It wasn't just against Potiphar's wife or against Potiphar. It was against God. And he refused to sin against God. And he ran from the temptation. There's also a painful contrast. Trials are painful. Some are more painful than others. But they're all painful. Temptation is painful. I should say yielding to temptation is painful. Someone wrote these words. I have no idea who wrote them. I know where I heard them originally. Listen to this. Sin is better in imagination than reality. While righteousness is always better in reality than in imagination. Grab hold of that. Sin is always better in imagination than in reality. How many people I have witnessed and seen who have fallen in the trap of sin. In fact, the Bible says it's pleasurable for a season, then comes the judgment. Sin is fun, but unfortunately, then comes the pain and the suffering as a result. You see, with a trial, the pain precedes the joy. In temptation, the pain follows or is, uh, follows the pleasure of the sin. question is, which one are you going to choose? You see, Satan makes sin very, very attractive and pleasurable. But then comes what happens. I want to, I've wrestled with this. I am deeply concerned that we as Christians think And not by hook, line, and sinker what everything in society and culture throws at us. 
We need to be people who are so in tune with the word of God that when something smacks us in the face that is counter to God, that we immediately run from it. I run to God. I guess uh, is my position at Temple Christian School. I, I see this every day. I watch kids and I sit oftentimes thinking, I wonder, I would love to know what these going through these kids' minds. What goes through your heart and mine? What goes through my heart and mine when we face the things of this world that bombard us day after day after day? And if we are not careful, we will be led astray. And that's what concerns me. Let me talk about a general principle and then I, I hope you'll follow where I'm headed. All of us believe in gravity. <laughs> um, in fact, I was thinking this morning, if, if there was no gravity in this world, um, <laughs> we'd just be floating in space. You might go to the mall one day and find it somewhere else the next day. Um, so we, gravity is good. But think for a moment, the person thinks, well, you know what, I don't really believe in that principle. So they go out and climb, off or climb up on the roof and jump off, and uh, they suddenly find out gravity is true. They either end up with a broken leg, broken arm, or maybe something worse. Well, that's what I want to do is take that principle and follow that through over into moral fiber of life. There are many principles in Scripture that we need to live by regarding finances, raising your family, husband and wife relationships, on and on and on we could go, children and parent relationships. God dresses all of them. And there are principles, if we apply them, will help us to live life well. Doesn't mean we won't have trials and tribulation, but we can avoid some of the things that the world just bombarded with. I'm going to bring up a subject that is uh, very hot today, and that's abortion. And I, I do not bring this up to lay guilt on anybody that may have gone through this. Believe me, my, my heart aches for people who have gone through this. But I want you to catch the principle of what I'm trying to drive at. The world has legalized abortion. God has said, Murder is sin. Abortion is murder. The problem is we can legalize sin, but we cannot do away with the consequences of what that legalization does to an individual. I have run into women who have had abortions, and have lived with grief and shame and guilt. In fact, psychologists have no idea what to do with that one issue of 
guilt. How do we deal with it? I think the world thinks if we legalize things, it'll deal with the guilt. No. It just creates more havoc. I'm going to touch on one more subject. I think of this whole transgender and all the moral stuff that's going on today. All the garbage, basically. We can legalize this till we're blue in the place, but it will never, ever change what happens inside of a person as a result of submitting to sin. And yet, on the other hand, I want to say to you very quickly, if you have found yourself in that, God wants to deliver us from it. Praise the Lord. If there wasn't Christ to come and deliver us, what hope would we have? We don't have any hope. We'd simply live in this wash of filth that the world dishes out. I urge you as Christians to be extremely careful of how you think. You cannot take the word of God and begin to tear out this passage and that passage. When you start doing that, you are dealing with a holy God who will still hold us accountable to his truth. It pains me. When I, when I, when I see what's happening and what's coming down the road as we legalize more and more and more of sin, I'm thinking, dear God, where are we headed? And we of all people need to stand for truth. That doesn't mean we stand and beat people or brow beat people. But we stand for truth. And when we have the opportunity to speak truth, we speak it with love and kindness and gentleness. But we need to stand, stand for the truth of God. We will be held accountable for that. I could uh, go on to a lot of other issues. I was just talking a few weeks ago to a young lady who, um, my heart, so I'm sitting there listening to her and I'm thinking, dear God, if she had only known you before all of this transpired. And I sat there listening and I finally, I looked at her, I said, do you live with regret? She said, every day. You see, God is trying to rescue us and keep us from regret and all the other repercussions of sin in our life if we would only listen to him. You know, as a loving parent, you set boundaries for your kids. There's not a one of you sitting here this morning, I hope not anyway, that would take your child down to the intersection of Cable Road and 309 and say, honey, honey, go out and play in the middle of the intersection. First of all, you'd be arrested for child neglect and abuse and your child would be confiscated from you. All I'm saying is that there's a holy God in heaven 
who knows how life works. And he says, if you will follow my plan of how life works, you could avoid so much of what's going on around us. And yet we buy into the philosophy of the world and then, and by the way, you know what troubles me? The world is playing in the intersection at 309 and Cable Road. And they're getting hit day after day after day and they don't know why. And then they turn around and have the audacity to blame God. God had nothing to do with it. He said, I'm here to rescue you if you will listen to me. I remind you to go back to the book of Deuteronomy and God says to the nation of Israel, I lay before you today blessings and curses. If you choose my blessings, I will pour them out upon you. But if you choose the curses, if you choose to disobey me, the curses will come. We're living in a world today where the world is being cursed day after day after day because we're ignoring the principles of God's word and living life to the hilt and miserable as a result. Ah, dear friend, my, I just say to you, be a voice peace for Jesus. Live for Jesus. Honor him. And as you have opportunity to speak into people's lives, speak. There's uh, one other contrast here in James. And that's the contrast of the outcome or the results. Temptation leads to sin and ultimately death and separation from God. But I want you to notice the fruit of living and accepting trials. The first fruit is patience. (laughs) Are you patient at 309 and Cable Road at the light? Or when the train comes by. <laughs> uh, my, my patience gets a little tried sometimes with uh, what goes on there. I'm more concerned about how patient are we at home with our spouse? How patient are we with our kids? How patient are you with a mom or dad? How patient are we with co-workers, other family members? You see, we're exhibiting to others the character of Christ. And so trials, the pressures of life come into us, and God says, I want to develop in you my marvelous fruit of the Spirit, patience. There's three other things, though, that God wants to bring about in our lives as a result of trials. Verse 4, it talks about spiritual maturity. See, growing in patience or growing in any of these fruit develop spiritual maturity. Verse 5, it talks about wisdom. By the way, um, I didn't read the verses, but verses 9 through 11, he is really using that, those verses as an object lesson 
of what this means in wisdom. And he talks there about the poor being proud of their humble conditions. And he talks to the wealthy saying, be humble. The reason being, because both of them are going to the same place. We're all going to die someday. Like it or not, we are. The wisdom here is knowing our final end. And are we prepared for it? And then in verse 12, it says, we'll receive a crown of life. Wow. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? Where we're free from this world and in the presence of Christ. Back a number of years ago, when I was pastoring in another church, I had a member of my church who had a disagreement with me theologically. I was sitting in my office one morning studying and uh, a knock came to my door and this gentleman stepped inside the door, looked at me and said, either resign or you're going to see the smoke rise. He left, went out, and I sat stunned. My first reaction was, well, I could be angry, I could be resentful, I could attack all the natural responses that any of us would have. But I chose to respond, hopefully, in honoring Christ. I spent literally days and weeks trying to resolve this issue with this gentleman. Unfortunately, I never did. He left the church, but he had a son, daughter-in-law, the ten. They're still in that church. In fact, the day that I resigned, they came up to me and said, we want to thank you for the way that you handled our dad in the situation. That's no credit to me. That's credit to God. The test for me to know that I have settled this issue was this. Not long after all of this happened, I went to a funeral to attend. I wasn't preaching the funeral. I was just attending. Funeral home was so crowded, they were simply ushering people in and just setting them down. You didn't have a choice to where you're going to sit. You're just going to sit. Guess who I sat next to? <laughs> I did. But I knew God had released me from that whole thing because genuinely I could put my arm around him and look him in the eye and say, I love you. And I did. I meant that deeply. You see, we can react as the world will react and respond. And my advice to you and to me is rather than take the knee-jerk reaction, which is usually human, stop and say, Lord, help me to react like you. By the way, I learned two lessons that have been invaluable to me. Talk about wisdom out of that experience. The first lesson was to ask myself the question, Lord, what have I done to contribute to this problem? When you can ask that question and answer it, you'll go a long way in solving issues. The second question is, Lord, what do you want to teach me? 
how do you want to change me? You see, we had, somebody said Christians walk with two buckets, one full of gasoline and one full of water. And when you're by a fire, depending on what you throw is what you get. So if you throw the gasoline, you're going to get an explosion. If you throw the water, they're going to put the fire out. You see, when we live in the principles of the Holy Spirit, we put out a lot of fires. When we live in the principles of the flesh, we will create a lot of explosions. And they're pretty messy sometimes. How about your life today? Where is God wanting to speak to your life as you respond to him? How patient are you at home? With your children, your spouses, friends, neighbors, co-workers. See, these are the issues that God wants to change in our life, become more like him. Please, please do not use the excuse, that's just me. That's a cop-out. If you've ever used that excuse, get on your knees and ask God to forgive you. And to change you. You see, that's the thing that God wants to rescue us from. is from ourselves. To die from that. And to live for Christ. And to honor him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that whatever has been said that's of value and of you. Please confirm it to the hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Anything of myself, oh God, please reject it. I pray today, Lord, in the days in which we live, we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit every waking moment. And I pray today that we might surrender ourselves and our all to Christ. That he might increase and that we might decrease, literally, as we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.